Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome back, everyone, to the 19th episode of the Take the Points podcast, officially part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. This is the first time we're doing two episodes in one week. And so in our episode that came out on Wednesday, we did our week five review. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. And then today we're going to be doing our week six preview and having an M fans interview. So be sure to stick around for that. Arjun, what do you think about the slate that we have this week? I'm definitely more interested in this slate than last week. I think last week there's a lot of games where I was just like, first of all, it's like not even fun to watch. And then there's not really many good betting opportunities, but I'm really liking this slate. I think there's a lot of fun games, a lot of exciting games. I could come down to the wire and um, a lot of a lot of high high scoring games. And, you know, we also get the Super Bowl rematch, the actual Super Bowl rematch yeah. that we'll go into detail about later in the episode. Yeah, that's the, you know, that's going to be the... um. The, the big fireworks show here, but we got to start off with some some smaller fireworks, maybe some firecrackers here with, with <laughs> Patriots Browns, right? So uh, we have we have Patriots Browns. So, you know, you saw the Browns pretty up and close and personal last week when they were playing your Chargers. What were kind of some of your thoughts and takeaways from uh, them going forward for the rest of the season and, and going into this game? Yeah, like... <sighs> I think so. I think the Browns, and I, I probably said it on the on the uh, review show. I think the Browns were the better team last weekend against the Chargers, and the thing with the Browns is like their rushing attack is just insane. Like I, every time Nick Chubb got the ball, it looked like it was going for a touchdown, even if the Chargers eventually um, were able to bring him down. But like that offensive line is so good at what they do, which is either creating perfectly blocked runs in the run game or keeping Jacoby Brissett upright, like in the passing game. So like in terms of like how the Patriots are going to win this game, like it's so tough for me to say, because I feel like the only way the Patriots win this game is if their offense just, you know, puts up like 30, but with Zappi, I don't, I don't really know if that's possible. Like the, like the Browns still managed to put up 28 points dis- despite failing to, to score in the red zone on one of their final drives and missing two field goals. So that's mm-hmm. potentially, you know, we're talking 13, potentially 14 points left on the board by the Browns. So I have full confidence in the Browns to be able to, that they're going to do whatever the hell they want on offense. 
but man, their defense is, is rough. Like they, they were getting gashed by the Chargers run game. <laughs> the Chargers run game was like 31st in EPA heading into the week. So I think it's, it's a, it's a very interesting team. I, I thought the Browns were one of the better defensive teams in terms of talent heading into this year, except on the interior, but yeah, they're, they're a little rough on the interior on defense. And I'm curious to see if, if Bill Belichick is able to exploit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I do think the story of this game is the two run games versus some run defenses that can be run on. And like, I think people have realized that the Browns rushing offense is good, like you mentioned, but like, I don't know if people realize like how good it actually is, right? So they have a 0.15 EPA per rush right now. New England is in second place with 0.05 EPA per rush. So the gap between the Browns and the Patriots uh, is the same as the gap between the Patriots in second place and the Panthers all the way in 21st place. So like the Browns, the Browns rushing offense is just a step ahead of everyone right now. And I want to see, so the Browns have a better rushing offense than every team's passing offense except five. I wanted to see if you knew who the five teams uh, who had a better passing offense than the Browns have rushing offense right now, according to EPA per play. Good question. If I if my memory serves correct, it was six last week. So they moved up the spot, yeah. which is which is crazy, but um Okay, so Bills are obviously up there. Chiefs are up there. Uh, Seahawks probably up there. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. This is a this is a good question. I I feel like Dolphins were up there, but I don't I don't think they still are. Anymore. Yeah, Dolphins are oh, still, still there. They still are. Wow. Yeah, okay. Dolphins are still there. One more, and then the last one. I don't know. Vikings. Our, our Eagles. Oh, yeah. Eagles. Yeah, Eagles. So, yeah, those are the those are the five passing yeah. offenses with better wow. um, efficiency than the Browns rushing game right now. And, yeah, you know, like you mentioned, like, yeah, the Browns, you know, interior defensive line can really be run on. Um, and, and, you know, you saw Belichick last week kind of go into, uh, you know, the, the 5-0 type formation to stop yep. the Lions run game. That was really effective going into that game and basically did nothing in that game. So Belichick still has some juice left. It's going to be really hard to win with Bailey Zappi on the road. But, you know, Zappi had an 80th percentile EPA per play game against, you know, the worst defense in the NFL, but that's still something for a third-string quarterback. And Jacoby Myers is the Patriots, um, you know, leading receiver right now. PFF's fifth-highest graded receiver. So there is a little bit of, you know, path for the Patriots to win this game, but going to be really tough with, you know, a backup backup quarterback on the road. Yeah, I guess the only question is like, do you think Belichick's like sort of familiarity with Brissett is gonna mm-hmm. play into this game at all in terms of like how he tries to attack Brissett's weaknesses, or do you think Stefanski's like a good enough coach to kind of hide some of the looks that Brissett's gonna face from Belichick? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And like we saw Belichick last year in the game against Brady on Sunday night, like mm-hmm. you know, really shut down the Bucks offense for a lot of the night. And Brady's a better quarterback than Brissett is. So, you know, if if there's something there, you know, you're working with like a small sample size of only a couple games of him facing his former quarterbacks. But if there's some noise there, like I'm sure he'll he'll figure out how to do it. And I want to talk about, so you had this take that, you know, you sent in uh, one of the group chats that we're in that now I'm starting to really come around to. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge haven't been bad play callers, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at offensive three and out rate. I don't, okay, so I think my ranks were correct, but I don't think the percentages were. I, I The way I tried to calculate it from NFL Fast Star was a little bit 
a little bit wonky, a um, little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if the percentages were truly correct, but yeah, they showed up near the bottom in ter- like in a good way. Like they had the, mm-hmm. one of the lowest three and out rates, and like I think they they do a good job of putting players in positions to succeed. Like they made life so easy for Zappy against the Lions and in relief against the Packers. It was just run, run, which obviously you know. You kind of have to do with this good offensive line and zappy and then just play action it was just play action play action play action and i think just hitting all the easy buttons for zappy and like like at the end of the day i know we all clowned patricia and judge during the preseason it's it's freaking bill belichick man like he yeah. <laughs> i know i know they're the one calling plays so i'm sure i'm sure belichick had some sort of say um in what the play calling is and, and calling all of the easy plays so um like that's that's kind of my worry for this game like the browns like they have talent for sure, but I think the Patriots have done a good job of exploiting other teams' weaknesses. And even if Damian Harris is out, Ramondre Stevenson is more than a capable backup. He might be even better than Damian Harris in the run game. So I, I am a little bit worried about um, the Browns' interior going up against this Patriots' mm-hmm. defensive front or offensive line. But but yeah, I don't I don't think Patricia and Judge have been like bad at all. And like in fact, like they probably exceeded expectations with the lack of talent they have on the roster. Yeah, for sure. Eighth in success rate, 15th in EPA per play on offense. Um, so and, as, as we go, yeah, oh, go ahead. And like, just like that disparity shows that they're consistently moving the ball. Mm-hmm. It's just that Mac Jones, I remember one game, it was like zero touchdowns, three interceptions. He's like hurting the team by turning the ball yeah. over while they cross midfield, right? So I think like when you look at like those like success rate to EPA disparities, it tells you a little bit about number one, the play calling, and number two, like the actual results. So a good success rate, low EPA, generally means turnovers or uh, down, like failed fourth down decisions, mm-hmm. like in uh, a fourth failed fourth down results inside of opponent's territory. Sorry for interrupting you there. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. And like, yeah, no, this is a big game because these are two teams that have gotten a little bit unlucky with like turnovers, uh, close one score game losses. So, like, you know, both of these teams kind of need to win this game to keep their season alive because they are a little bit better than their record shows right now. But if we talk about a game where a team is probably um, worse than their record is, the Vikings <laughs> are 4-1, and one, uh, you know, going up against the Dolphins, probably getting to play a third-string quarterback this week in Skylar Thompson. Um, and I think the Vikings are a good team. Like, I don't want to say that they're, like, a, a bad team or anything. And I think, you know, O'Connell's playing well, or O'Connell's co- coaching well, and Justin Jefferson, best receiver in football. But you barely beat the Lions, and now we know the Lions are bad. Like, that was, like, back when we thought, like, maybe the Lions were okay. Now we know the Lions are bad. Grind it out against the Saints, uh, back in quarterback, no receivers, and then let the Bears back into the game. And, like, when you look at uh, the difference between a really good team and what they do when they're playing a team that they're a touchdown favorite against, uh, and like how they'll they'll go and blow them out, and like it's it's tough to compare a team to the Bills, but like the Bills just didn't even let the Steelers have a chance at all in that game last week, and the Vikings that like, came out played well and then let the Bears back in, like that just like it worries me that the scripted plays are great mm-hmm. for the Vikings, and then the defense adjusts and Kirk Cousins, you know, doesn't play as highly as we're used to seeing him and. Um, and then they they let other teams back in the game and make it really close at the end. Yeah, and like the thing with Kirk Cousins that honestly just pisses me off is like he always finds a way to end up with the game winning field goal somehow. Whenever he's down in the fourth quarter, he he turns on like 
I'm not saying he's Tom Brady, but he turns into Tom, like he leads like a Tom Brady-esque driver. He just gets the team in the field goal range and then Greg Joseph will nail the field goal after missing like one or two previously. So <laughs> I think like, you know, the Vikings, I, I had a tweet about this, like they're probably the team that's worse on their record and like th- their record is kind of indicative of like how good Justin Jefferson has been, in my opinion, like how he's, like you've always said, is the most valuable non-quarterback on any team in the NFL mm-hmm. right now. But the thing I wanted to like touch on with this game is, is kind of like the, is kind of the um, angle of what the Dolphins are going to do against the Vikings. Number one, like you can't play man against the Viking against the Vikings at all. Mm-hmm. But the thing the Dolphins love to do is is play man. Like I'm going to shout out um, our friend Haley English, who does a who does a great job on PFF.com every week, just writing about man and zone rates. And the Dolphins have run man 48.3 percent of the time um in 2022 and last week they played man 50 percent of the time even without Xavier Howard going up against a pretty talented Jets receiving room right so mm-hmm. if Xavier comes back I don't think Byron Jones is going to play they're probably going to run man at about a 50 percent clip or higher and look Xavier's great he shows up great and me and Judah's successful coverage over expected metric but you can't cover Justin Jefferson one-on-one and especially if if the Dolphins think they can do the Belichick method where they put whoever their number two is on Sunday against Justin Jefferson and put Xavier on mm-hmm. Thielen Jefferson's going for 150 or something like he's gonna tear up this man yeah. and so Again, we talked about how the Dolphins needed to adjust their defense against the Bengals. They didn't do it. And, you know, everything we said, what happened in the game, explosive plays and whatnot happened. And I think exactly that exact thing is going to happen in this game if they don't if they don't treat Justin Jefferson like the bona fide number one receiver like he is. So I'm curious to see if we get any adjustments from the Dolphins there. But but, yeah, it's probably going to be a close game, even if the uh, even if the Vikings go up early because of the scripted plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know something we always talk to Ben Brown about is when if you're looking for a live betting game plan, whenever there's a Vikings game and one of the team goes up by more than uh, a one possession game, bet the other side of that because chances are it'll finish under seven points because basically every Vikings game does. <laughs> but you yeah, know, I really like the point about the Dolphins pass defense because the Dolphins pass defense has sneakily been like bad this year. Uh, like they ranked thirtieth yeah. in uh, dropback EPA per play against. Um, you know, this is a very big advantage for the Vikings going into this game because they have the 12th best passing offense in the NFL right now. And this is with like Kirk Cousins playing worse than how he's played in Minnesota throughout his career. Like he he isn't playing as at high of a level as he's used to. So one of these things has to break, right? Like eventually yeah. we're either going to see uh, him c- come back to normal production and the Vikings have a top 10 passing offense or you know, eventually they run out of kind of like the plays they've worked on this offseason. Um, defenses kind of get more film on like what a Kevin O'Connell offense looks like, and they regress to like an average passing offense. So I'm very curious to see, uh, you know, how that happens. It might not be in this game, but it might be something that happens the rest of the season. Yeah, and, and just before we move on to the next game, like I think there is a little bit of a transition period for Kirk that we're seeing, right, like going from um, the offense he was running before to now Kevin Stefanski or – Kevin O'Connell's offense that he's bringing over from the Rams. So maybe he eventually gets back to like the 10th or 11th EPA per play quarterback that he's always been um, later in the season. Right. But, but yeah, I think there's a little bit of struggle and the dolphins are really banged up right now on both sides of the ball. So maybe this is like one of those get right games and in a game that Justin Jefferson's probably going to be charted as open over 70% of the time. Um, (laughs) 
But with that, let's move on to one of the more intriguing games of the slate, Ravens-Giants. I know you have a, a pretty strong angle you like on this game. So what do, what do you think about this game and, like, how are you, like, looking at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, we, we raved about everything that the Giants have been doing on our Wednesday show and how they, you know, played against the Packers and outcoached them and how well Daniel Jones and Saquon had played in this game. But I think this might be where it ends for them. I think the Ravens are just a, a very, very good football team. And we saw last week that Lamar Jackson doesn't have to play his best for them to beat a team that like has some life in the, in the Cincinnati Bengals. And, uh, you know, I think like when, when you have a big quarterback advantage, like they do in this game, like Brian Dable is, you know, doing everything he can to put Daniel Jones in good situations. They took advantage of what the Packers defense was bad at uh, last week by changing their offense to being a bunch of crossing routes to Darius Slayton because the Packers defense can't defend that. So like, he's going to put him in really good situations, but he still only ranks 20th in EPA per play. Like, there's still there's still the mistakes. There's still he's playing injured. You know his, his rushing ability is limited there. So I just think when you have you know the Lamar Jackson playing at such a high level and like gonna have his his bounce back game this year, and you have a Giants defense that leads the NFL in blitz percentage at forty seven percent, and the Ravens spent the entire offseason preparing to be blitz like crazy because they knew that's what they were bad at last year, and Lamar Jackson leads the NFL in e-paper drop back against the blitz this season, that's like a bad matchup for me. And I think like the Ravens could, you know, really do well in kind of busting this game open and holding on to a lead. I love that. And you know, that, that point you just brought up about the blitz, like that's, those are points that like when we started this podcast, like people wouldn't kind of have the ability to like look up or code or like find this like niche stat. But like, those are the things that like we wanted to help people understand. Like I, that's such a good point that like, if, if the Giants play their normal game and the Ravens play their normal game, like the, the Ravens are going to win this game by like at least 10. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I love that point. The only, the only holdback for me is if the Giants go blitz heavy, like they normally have, and the Ravens don't have Rashad baby, which I don't think he's practiced on uh Wednesday or Thursday, who's going to get open for the Ravens. Or the other question is like, can Greg Roman, can, can Greg Roman scheme open guys or is he just relying on guys like Mark Andrews and Duvernay to win their one-on-one matchups? Like in that in that Bengals game, Lamar was missing. Like he was not having his best game. He missed two touchdowns to Duvernay, one down the sideline and one like on like a just a post route, I think. But he, they they were still able to pull it out, and we saw some encouraging signs from the Ravens defense, even if it was more bent on break and not more of like a 49ers just straight three and out performance. Um, but yeah, like I don't, I just don't see how the how the Giants are able to pull this one out, especially like on offense, they have like no talent on offense and mm-hmm. the Ravens, while they're, while they might not have the communication issues or that the Packers have, like they're, they have they're I don't think they're like as well polished as we'd like to think. Like there were still a lot of penalties on them against that Bengals team. So if, if Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are able to maintain a strong ground game, like they're one of the, I think six or seven teams that average a positive EP per rush this year, they could, I think caused some issues for the Ravens who may be a little bit light up front as opposed to more in depth in the secondary, even though if they lost Marcus Williams, you know, Chuck Clark and Kyle Hamilton are still two very capable safeties. But um, I, I am curious to see how this game plays out and to see what adjustments that Wink makes, knowing that he's going up against a quarterback he's, you know, coached against in training camp for the past four years. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that's actually a really cool angle in this game. And, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because, you know, you kind of can see it'll be kind of cool to see like the differences in defense that like why the Ravens moved on from Wink Martindale and like why you went with Mike McDonald and like the Ravens defense has has struggled so far. Um, you know, they, they didn't tackle well in the Cincinnati game, even though they their production was better than it was because, um, you know, you had the lack of the T Higgins point that you brought up uh, earlier in the week where like they were able to to go. They, they were able to go, you know, well against the Bengals because there was only, you know, one real receiver that like could really, really beat them in Jamar Chase. Again, you have that with the Giants, right? Like Darius Slayton is like their only receiver right now. And it's just a bunch of like random guys that they've just kind of like thrown out there. So like that's what I think the Ravens uh, defense is capable of stopping. Like what they're not capable of stopping is like a game like the Dolphins, where you have multiple receiving options that can beat you because like that that was just a bad matchup for them with you know what the, like their transition that they're doing from single high blitz heavy to too high not blitz heavy. So this this is like a you know advantageous spot I think for them to really start to get their defense in place going forward. Yeah, agreed. All right, now. Let's talk about the Super Bowl rematch, Bills Chiefs. Like Josh Allen playing at an MVP level, Patrick Mahomes four touchdowns last week against you know the Raiders, um, all coming in like three quarters. I mean, it, it it really doesn't get better than this, and I'm just mad we're not getting this on Sunday Night Football after mm-hmm. like the streak of kind of like bad primetime games that we we've, we've gotten. So. You know what is what is your thinking on this game? Like, how are you? How do you see this like quarterback match playing out? Like, do you think it's going to be a high scoring game or or a low scoring game? Like, what do you, what are you seeing from this game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I I agree. Every time I see this game, I think it should be on Sunday Night Football. Like, oh, that's a cool Sunday Night game. And then I remember that's a four twenty five Eastern Time game, and it throws me off. But I'm I'm so excited about this game. Um, I think you get you know you're getting the two best quarterbacks in the NFL going up against each other right now in Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, they're first and second in total EPA. Um, if you want to remove like screens, play action passes, RPOs, and just get more of like a pure EPA per drop back, Josh Allen is, you know, pretty like a pretty significant gap between him and uh, Geno Smith in second place. And then Mahomes is right there at fourth place as well. And so, you know, I think, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I do think it'll be like pretty high scoring. I think the biggest thing that we're going to get out of this game is Josh Allen is going to run on either design rushes or scrambles like crazy. And that's going to be kind of like the thing that puts the bills over the top in this game. Because when you look at what Josh Allen did to the, uh, the, the chiefs last year is in, in the regular season game and in the playoff game, he rushed for over 60 yards in both of those because he became a one-man offense, basically, for that game. Like, every play kind of goes through him. And so I think, you know, with, with like, the lack of the way that the Bills have been able to run block for their running backs, like, they have the lowest expected yards per carry in the league right now on design rushes. So I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, Josh Allen either – rushes like outside like QB power or where he dropped back looks at his first and second read and then takes off and that's going to be the thing that the Chiefs defense is going to be having trouble to defend yeah I I completely agree with that um look we we've talked we've joked about this like off air and stuff but like um and and I'll talk about this a little bit later but but yeah I think I think this is going to be like a big Gabe Davis game. This is going to be a big, like, I, I don't know if he's pr- playing, but like Dawson Knox game, like 
last year the the Chiefs actually did a pretty good job of like taking away Stephon Diggs in both games. In in the regular season game, he had two catches for 69 yards. In the playoffs, he had three catches for seven yards. Like that's five catches for a top five receiver in the NFL the past two years, right? Like mm-hmm. in two matchups, right? Like that's pretty significant. Like the Chiefs did all they could. I'm pretty sure they had a double on Stephon Diggs on almost every play and they dared Josh Allen to beat them uh, with with his legs, like you mentioned, or with these secondary receivers. Now, I do get a little bit worried, like a tad worried about the Bills secondary receivers this year as compared to last year, because last year they had Diggs, Sanders, McKenzie, Davis, and Cole Beasley, like that's five, five deep receivers, like all receivers who would be starting or, um, you know, at least a fourth uh, number four on any given team in the NFL. Right. But like this year, it's pretty much Diggs, McKenzie and Davis and crowd like Crowder is out for the year. Right. Like I don't I'm not a big fan of Kumara at all. So I do get a little bit worried about the Bills secondary receivers, but like Josh Allen is that good where he can turn those guys into like mm-hmm. good players. So I think I'm, I'm, I am curious to see what Spags does. He had a lot of trouble last week against Devontae Adams, right? Like Devontae kind of cooked him over the top. There was a lot of deep balls. And um, the the thing is like the Chiefs secondary, I think should be getting McDuffie back while the Bills aren't getting Trey, McWhite, uh, Trey White back. So um, I've kind of been vocal about how I think the way to beat the Chiefs is by having a good secondary and playing man. But mm-hmm. if the Bills try to play man this this uh, game, I don't think they're going to have success because their corners kind of they're not that good, especially with that Trey White. So it, it's you know two of the best or two of the best teams, or if not the best two teams in the NFL going up in this matchup. And I mean, it, it all I think it just comes down to if, like if Andy wants to call the good plays or not at home, <laughs> or if he wants to save him for the playoff matchup. Like he could just treat this game as like okay, we won on Monday night, we have a two game lead in the division or one mm-hmm. game lead in the division. Like we don't really need to take this game like as serious. And maybe we, we save all the good plays for the playoff game, the AFC championship game, which is, you know, this is probably inevitable at this point. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's true. You might, you might do that. I wouldn't put it past Andrew Reed, especially after what happened in, you know, the regular season matchup last year. But yeah, I think, I think the point about the chiefs pass offense versus the bills pass defense is interesting because last year the bills came in, with the number one pass defense in the NFL, the number one overall defense. And, you know, that was like in a time in the NFL where defense just didn't have as much influence over the game that I think it does now. And like, we've seen the really, really good defenses this year go up against some good offenses and like actually control the game. Like we've seen that in, you know, every game for the Cowboys defense, every game for the 49ers defense, these defenses are, are again, like getting, getting to control like what the offense does instead of the other way around, like it's been the last couple of years. So I do think that means something and that that has some influence going into this game. But the Bills defensive line is really what's been like carrying their defense this year. And Mahomes has the lowest pressure to sack rate in the NFL right now. Justin Herbert at second, like these are two quarterbacks that you're just not going to be able to take down, even if you get Mm -hmm. pressure, because they either will get the ball away or they'll just complete some crazy pass that you've never seen happen on a football field before. So that's, so that's like kind of like the double-edged sword there is like the Bills defense is going to be able to, to put more of their stamp on this game. But if it's through their defensive line, it won't be as much as, uh, as they will do to other opponents that aren't Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, dude, I, like I love that point so much. Like I, I was going to go into that a little bit more, but I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, 
I think you you can't be beating the Chiefs like on the defensive line. Like we saw Max Crosby and Chandler Jones tear up Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley on Monday, right? Like they were mm-hmm. getting home, but they couldn't turn it. Like they turned like a couple of those into sacks, but over the course of a game, Mahomes is going to like, he's going to figure it out. And that's why like one of my like unofficial plays I love is like Patrick Mahomes over rushing yards in this game. Like I think yeah. he's going to probably treat this as a playoff game. And as we know, Mahomes over rushing yards in the playoffs is, is, uh, is profitable. <laughs> so yeah. um, I don't, I don't mind Mahomes over rushing yards in this game up to like probably 17 and a half or something. But to your point, like the Bills right now have the 10th highest pressure rate in the NFL, but they have the number one pressure to sack conversion rate mm-hmm. in the NFL. So when we talk about like getting home and finishing the job, like the Bills are the best team in the NFL at doing that. But Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL at forcing teams not to do that. So you have the number one defense at doing something versus the number one quarterback. And it's one of those like immovable object meets immovable object. <laughs> and, you know, what do we what do we end up with? Right. So I obviously I have to I have to go with Patrick Mahomes as being the guy who will come out victorious in that type of matchup. But who knows, like the Bills are, are a very sharp team and maybe they have something cooked up where, you know, they won't be letting Mahomes escape the pocket. But but yeah, I'm really excited for this game. Definitely going to be the only game I'm going to have on my computer to watch or you know maybe i'll watch at someone else's place but like, really excited for this game and to see how it plays out mm-hmm. yeah no i i think it'll be a lot of fun and yeah like it, yeah you're right like the bills the bills game plan is going to be really interesting because like mahomes has basically the same efficiency against middle of the field close like single high and mm-hmm. middle of the field open when it's played right now so I'm, so there's like there's there's not really a you know a great way to to stop him like i guess like, that's pretty obvious but like what's interesting is like Josh Allen against middle of the field open has a 0.4 EPA per play while against middle of the field close at 0.25. So he's been so much better against two high shells this year because he can just throw over them. Like he has the yeah. strength to just throw over the dome when other quarterbacks don't have that. That like is why like two high has been effective at stopping some of the other passing attacks. So, you know, Spags is going to, is going to really have to, lean into you know the the cover one stuff that he loves a lot i think and then for the bills you just have to vary your coverages a lot in the first half and just kind of figure out what works and hope that the chiefs don't catch on yeah all right sunday night football last game to review cowboys eagles i'm I'm really excited for this game also right we get our friends zach dropkin and sarah hughes eagles on prime time last time they killed the vikings on monday night football now we get them in a divisional matchup against the Cowboys, who to, in, in my like team awards have been the most surprising team so far. Remember mm-hmm. when Dak Prescott got hurt, their win total dropped from 10 and a half to six and a half, and they're already at four wins. So if you were someone who believed in this team, even after Dak got hurt, if you were someone who was like Cooper Rush, isn't that bad of a quarterback or this defense is going to be legit and you hit over six and a half, congratulations. You know, why didn't you DM me this sooner? But the, the Cowboys are a very interesting team. I think, again, they, they haven't overperformed expectations, in my opinion, because their wins have been, like, impressive. They've been legit. It hasn't been fluky. Like, their defense is by far, you know, the strength of their team. And one of the things they do, and they have been doing for years, is stunting, right? Like, that's one thing that Dan Quinn has implemented. Last year, they had the highest stun rate over expectation, um, per my uh, stunt rate over expect- expected metric. And, I, th- you know, when I run the metric, I'm sure they're going to show up very highly. But in terms of, like, raw stunt rate, they do have the highest uh, stunt rate in the NFL. They stunt 
on 50% of passing plays. Like <laughs> they, they are constantly putting offensive lines in, in, a, in uh, tough situations. But, but if there's any offensive line I trust, maybe outside of the Browns to figure this out, it would be the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Even without Jordan Mailata, simply because Jeff Stoutland is easily one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles always have great depth along the offensive line inside and outside. And Jason Kelsey obviously is, a, is an animal to where he can, he can figure out when the Cowboys are stunting. I'm sure the Eagles analytics department has some type of algorithm or machine learning thing, which is figuring out when the Cowboys are, are <laughs> going to, are going to stunt. You know, that's obviously, we don't have any information on that, but um, I think, I think that's one angle in this matchup. I'm really curious to see how the Eagles offensive line handles it and Jalen Hurts will handle it. So um, what are you, what are you looking for in this matchup? Yeah, no, the, the stunt, the stunt thing is huge because like the thing about Hurts and like, uh, a lot of people's criticism of him last year was he was like a one and done quarterback, right? Like if his first read wasn't mm-hmm. open, he was looking to get outside the pocket. And when you run stunts, it's two people looping inside and it takes them a little longer to, you know, get through the uh, offensive line. Like it, it does lead to a higher pressure rate, but it leads to also a higher time to pressure. So Jalen Hurts is kind of, you know, a, a good, a bad matchup for the Cowboys defense, good for the Eagles that, when he can go through his first two progressions and if he doesn't like either throw when he starts, he'll have the time to be able to get outside. And then you have these defensive linemen that are looping inside that are going to, you know, be trying to get to the middle of the pocket when he might be outside of it. So that's Mm -hmm. where I think like the edge is for the Eagles, but like the rest of the Cowboys defense is good. Like, like the secondary, like, you know, defensive line obviously amazing and like everyone talks about that like dan quinn has the secondary playing really well yeah and you know they're they're like they're they're just grinding like they they just they play like pretty good at at all levels of the field right now and you know i think like with the way that uh you know malik hooker and um and trayvon diggs and you know kelvin joseph and all those guys are just playing in the secondary where you know it's it's just like a very impressive performance and like it's it's been it's been like a pleasant surprise for them to you know shore shore up a pass defense that a lot of people were worried about with fluky production last year yeah with Trayvon Diggs like last year he was slightly negative in our successful coverage over expected expected metric which is kind of expected even though he had a low EPA per target like he he wasn't doing he wasn't successful on a consistent basis, but this year he's, he has a 0.022 successful coverage over expected, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the number one, which is the highest among all cornerbacks on the Cowboys. But yeah, I mean, Malik Hook is performing very well. Donovan Wilson's playing very well. Lady yeah. and Vander Esch is, is having a great season in coverage. I was talking with um, John Owning, who's a editor at PFF and a, you know, big Cowboys fan. And he was telling me like how, um, how like uh, what Dan Quinn isn't, you know, being put in these tougher situations or yeah, how, no, how Dan Quinn isn't putting Leighton Van Der Esch in these tougher mm-hmm. situations. And like when, when Quinn goes into his Tampa two looks, you know, Leighton Van Der Esch is able to carry some of those tight ends and receivers mm-hmm. up the seam. So, you know, all three of the Cowboys main safeties and linebackers like Van Der Esch, Hooker and Donovan Wilson have been playing very well. This could be a good like Dallas Goddard under game, but I love your point about like how, when, when, the Cowboys stunts are probably going to be neutralized by uh, Hertz escaping the pocket, but that's also like a double entendre because like Hertz is escaping the pocket, you know, whatever side he runs to, he's completely neglecting the other side of the field. Mm-hmm. So 
And I wonder if the Cowboys try to exploit that by forcing Hurts to try to roll out left. So the only thing he can do is the scramble because, you know, him rolling out left probably means he's not going to be able to throw on the run as well as rolling out right. Yeah. So there are some nuances to to this, you know, stunts thing, but we're not defensive coordinators, so we don't really know how all of this works. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested to see there. The the other side, like the Cowboys offense against the Eagles defense, we talk about the Cowboys stunting at 50 percent. The Eagles don't do anything <laughs> like we've <laughs> talked about Jonathan Ganning being one of the most vanilla defensive coordinators in the league. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean he's a bad defensive coordinator like Eagles have been playing at a pretty good level on defense, but mm-hmm. the Eagles have stunted only 12% of the time, which is the lowest rate among all teams in the NFL, right? So it's not like Cooper Rush is going to get these exotic looks or exotic pass rushing looks. So he's going to be able to like have time. The Cowboys off- offensive line has been playing well. So like, do you think the Cowboys will have some offensive success like they've had in the past couple of week- weeks where they don't lose the Cowboys the game? Or do you think mm-hmm. they the Eagles might try to like change stuff up? Yeah, no, I... I think it all depends on how much they use Tony Pollard. Um, you know, I've I've always been a like supporter of Pollard getting, you know, as many or more carries than Ezekiel Elliott in that backfield. Like Zeke is the best pass blocking running back in the league. You know, use him in those types of situations. But Pollard needs to be the one uh rushing the football. And like when you look at the advanced metrics between these two running backs, Pollard has a positive 0.04 EPA per rush. Uh Zeke has a negative 0.06. So, you know, it's about 0.1, you know, difference between the two. Rushing yards over expected. Um, they've had about the same expectation this year. Pollard is at six yards per carry and Zeke is at four yards per carry. So about two, two, you know, a difference in two yards between these two running backs. And we saw Pollard score the Cowboys lone offensive touchdown last week uh, by breaking off the explosive run against the Rams defense that was playing, you know, pretty well against, Cooper Rush and the rest of the Cowboys offense. So I think that's really the key is, you know, how much can Kellen Moore lean into the the Pollard run game against this Eagles defensive line that's that's playing really well. And, you know, when when you when you go and draft a you know someone like Jordan Davis, you do that to stop like these types of run games. So like Kellen Moore's been a more creative play caller with Cooper Rush as quarterback because, you know, Dak is like one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league. And you can kind of just throw a lot on his plate. When he's out there with Cooper Rush, he's still gaining experience as a starter. And, you know, Dak's been doing this for so many years. So they're giving him, you know, a lot more easy buttons, like, you know, we like to mention and to, to make it easier for him. But he just, he just has to make like a couple throws a game if the Cowboys defense just keeps playing at the level that they are. And I, I do actually think he's capable of that. Yeah, agreed. All right. Speaking of easy buttons, let's move on to our bets, which have not been so easy the past <laughs> couple of weeks. Uh, our podcast is now a crazy zero for five on lock our bet of the week, which when we started this podcast, I did not think it would come to that. But again, if you want if you want us to review how our bet of the weeks have lost, shoot me a DM and I'll go into a whole rant about, you know, how <laughs> everything has been lost in the fourth quarter of games. But I do like our bets for this week. Um, why, don't, why don't you start it off? Yeah, so I touched on this earlier in the game preview. And, um, you know, when we were on the PFF forecast, uh, be sure to check that out. I, I talked about this as well. Ravens minus five and a half. Um, again, like when when you could get this big of a quarterback mismatch uh, with Lamar Jackson being, you know, right on the doorstep of the top five quarterback, Daniel Jones being a below average quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I like to take that. 
Um, and like my thing about like Ravens five and a half is when Lamar Jackson just was basically able to close out that game last week against the Bengals by just rushing it on basically every play to get them in field goal range. And he leads the NFL in rushing yards over expected right now. It kind of like gives the Giants less opportunity to backdoor cover. Like if the Ravens are up mm. 10 late in the fourth quarter of this game, there's less of a chance that the Giants are going to get the ball back against the Ravens than, uh, you know, most teams that don't have Lamar. So, you know, Giants are coming off their London trip, um, you know, might have the Stefan Diggs effect of like peaking. Like this is the highest that everyone will be on the Giants right now. Like really happy for, for everything that they've done. But I do think that the Ravens are just a really, really good football team and can take advantage of some of the Giants weaknesses in this game. Yeah. And we kind of already spilled out the handicap for this in our game preview. Um, okay. I, so my first play is a play that might shock some people um, because I've been low on them all summer, but it is the Bengals minus one and a half against the saints, you know, make sure to shop around and get the best line, but I'm seeing one and a half at a couple of places like WinBet, uh, FanDuel, it's two and a half other places, but like, dude, I just like, I feel like this should be like at least minus three where we're like, we're forced to take a hook or something, but like the Bengals are to me, they were the better team on Sunday, even if Lamar missed a couple deep throws and stuff. They showed enough growth against too high, which is taking down taking the checkdowns, even if that's not the most optimal way for them to win games of you know via explosive plays and taking sacks. But like the Bengals are by far the better team in this matchup. The Saints, um, the Saints have the lowest pressure rate in the NFL. And if there's one thing Joe Burrow sucks at, it's his pressure to sack ratio. So if he's getting pressured less by this Saints defense, which you know, their defensive line is kind of underperformed. He's going to be taking less sacks and he's going to have more time to like potentially hit the deep ball. The one worry I have for this game is T Higgins might not play, which we've kind of outlined how the Bengals offense has a significant drop off when they lose either Higgins or Chase. But I do have enough faith in this offense that like they'll like Chase will eventually break one off or, you know, Joe Mixon looked good in the run game last week. And also this Bengals defense is elite and, um, the, the Saints offense, the, their top three receivers weren't even practicing Wednesday. So even if all three of them play or a couple of them play, they're probably going to be limited. And regardless of who's starting a quarterback, I have faith in this Bengals defense to turn it up and, and keep them from, you know, doing too much, keep the Saints offense from doing too much damage. And, you know, finally, like I, the Saints Superdome is probably going to be a neutral stadium with how many Burrow and Chase fans from LSU mm-hmm. are probably going to go. Right. So I, yeah. I absolutely love this play. This is one of my, you know, highest conviction plays not only for this week but like for this season yeah i know this this is a great pick and like one of the benefits of having two shows now is we can kind of feel out you know where the public is at and last week when uh, i gave out you know seahawks uh to cover against the saints i didn't realize that every single person was going to end up picking that same pick as their favorite bet and it made me worried you know going into it like oh great like i i picked the pick that like everyone's picking and like you should fade the public so this is good. I haven't seen this play given out much, but yeah, you're all the points that you hit on Bengals are Bengals are a good team. Um, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna play a lot better than, than I think the record is down down the stretch. And yeah, Saints are just seem like a house of cards right now. Uh okay, so my bet. So I mean Jets Packers, I like this game to just have points in general. But if I were to, you know, pick like a side, instead of maybe just doing the over, I do like the Jets team total over 18 and a half. Um, and this like all starts with Zach Wilson is quietly playing. Okay. 
Like he's, <laughs> he was, he, he, he might've had, you know, one of the worst seasons in recent NFL history last year, but he's 16th in EPA per play right now out of the 36 qualifying quarterbacks, uh, which is, which is pretty good. And the Jets offense is, is moving the ball. Well, um, you know, they have receivers that can really take advantage of this Packers defense that just isn't playing well, as I've talked about multiple times this week. So I do like the the Jets to, to score points here. And, you know, when you look at teams coming back from London um, and having to play the week after, they usually let up three more points per game than the average NFL team, because it's like it's an exhausting trip and it's it's hard to get ready for the next week and we see that effect more on defense and offense so like i i think all of those those kind of like you know factors going into this game make me like the jets scoring a decent amount of points yeah i think your handicap goes along with our friend judah's lead on this game which is like he he likes the jets like plus seven and a half mm-hmm. and I, I mean i i do love the 18 and over 18 and a half just because yeah you're right like zach wilson hasn't looked that bad breeze hall doesn't look that bad like yeah. maybe the I, I, again, I'm not sure if the resources they trade up for him will eventually be justified by the end of his rookie deal, but he has like given them solid early returns, which I think is is a good sign for them. Mm-hmm. So I definitely like that play. Um, I'm going to end it off. I'm going Jags money line. I, I just want to ask you, like, did we learn anything about the Colts last week on Thursday Night Football that like they should be favorites over the Jags who blanked them 24 to zero in week two? No, I think I, I think the Colts' offense looks even worse than I thought going into that game. Yeah. So yeah. if their offense looks worse and their defense is like okay, like it's it, it did well, but I thought I think we can all agree that Russell just isn't playing good right now. So we didn't really learn much about the Colts. So the fact that this opened at like Col- like I think it was a pick'em and now it's Colts minus two. I just like I don't understand the line movement, and the only explanation is the people think Trevor Lawrence sucks, and again every team is due for a stinker right like lawrence in against the eagles had four lost fumbles that's never going to be repeated in his career like i would bet money on that and against the texans like he just had a bad game or like the the jaguars in general on offense had a bad game so like i think you you can't just like throw those performances out the window but i think you have to like you can't like use recency bias too much in this matchup right like Mm -hmm. the jags we talked about it in our in our uh, review like the Jags are such a bad matchup for the Colts because they have a number one good defensive line which can cause yeah. a lot of problems at stopping Jonathan Taylor on the ground and getting home to Matt Ryan who's going to take a lot of sacks in this game and has been taking a lot of sacks on the season and two like I I still believe in this Jaguars offense and while Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked good the past couple of weeks like I do think they're still the better team in this matchup still probably the you know, have a little bit more talent on offense and defense than the Colts do. So I'm I'm not taking the you can take the plus two, or I guess like the better play is you split half a unit on both uh Colts plus two and then half a unit on or no Colts Jack sorry, you put half a unit Jags plus two, half a unit Jags money line just in case it lands in the middle. Uh but you know either way it's probably gonna either come out to be Jaguars or Colts winning outright. So I don't know how much the plus two means, but but yeah that's my that's my play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like that plan, and yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think you know everyone kind of was really excited about Trevor Lawrence the first couple of weeks of the season, and that excitement's just fallen off a cliff these past couple of weeks. But you know, we st- we still got to believe in you know the high. The highs are really good for him, 
and there's no highs for the Colts offense right now, like literally <laughs> none. Like they don't have any explosive plays, uh, rushing or passing. So mm-hmm. I think I think you know it'll it'll be it'll be a good game for the Jaguars and kind of like a get right game. The AFC South is just weird. Like wh- whatever you think you know about the AFC South, the yeah. opposite always happens. So if people start to think that they know the Colts are better than the Jags, I can see the Jags blowing them out, <laughs> and then you know all of a sudden you know, we're back to where we are, where we know nothing. We got to pick our lock of the week. Yeah, we got to give the pick um, for our people to fade, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so um here I I, I mean I picked the wrong one last week. I think this this one's got to be you and I I think I know which one I I like from you, but I want to hear what you think first. Like I have to pick the Bengals one. Like I like mm-hmm. I said that's just my highest conviction play with or without T Higgins. Like I just think the Bengals are the better team in this game and to me like at least for me for my like bankroll like it's going to be a win either way because I have a Bengals to miss the playoffs ticket, but like, you know, they could still win and miss the playoffs. So like, I'm, I'm hoping it's one of the, one of those two. So I do like Bengals minus one and a half as our lock. Okay. Let's go with that. So again, if you want to fade the lack of the week, like, you know, which would have been a profitable play so far, feel free to take <laughs> the saints, but we do like the Bengals there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So yeah, those, the, that was our uh, week six preview. Uh, and we will jump into our interview with a Michigan Football Analytics Society member, our friend Iso. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So one of the things that we're going to be able to do now that we're switching to two episodes is we're going to be able to spend some more time interviewing our guests that we'll have on every week. Uh, You know, they're members of the Michigan Football Analytics Society where Arjun and I got our start with football analytics. So we're here with our friend Iso today. Uh, he's a he's a big Bears fan, uh, you know, very knowledgeable in, in all the sports, and we're really excited to have him on. Iso, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity. Yeah, so Iso, obviously, um, we've had a Browns fan come on. We've had a Vikings fan come on. Now it's time for a Bears fan to come on. So overall, like, what is your just general assessment of the team without, like, uh, zeroing in on a specific player? You guys uh, enjoy bringing misery onto the show. Um <laughs> Um, the team right now, I think this is a this is a rebuilding year. Um, there's a lot of solid young talent on the team. There's some veteran guys who maybe get a second shot next year, maybe they don't. Um, and you know, young quarterback who's hopefully developing this year with you know a new play caller stuff like that. So I think this team, this is a team that you know for the moment is bad, but there are pieces around that I think in the next few years, if they make the right moves, spend the right money, that they could be 
a good team in a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it, it all starts with Justin Fields, right? And so the first three weeks of the season, he ranked dead last in EPA per play. Uh, these past two weeks, he's ranked ninth in EPA per play. Like what have, what have your thoughts been on him? Uh, you know, his first two seasons in the NFL and where do you kind of project him going forward? Yeah, I think um, last year was last year was a big, you know, he came out really raw or he came out as raw as uh, with some sort of rawness, um, big arm quarterback from Ohio State who, you know, had sort of like or this sort of like sit back in the pocket and wait and wait for his, like one of his talented wide receivers to get open. And like coming to the Bears, he knew it was going to be a struggle because he didn't really seem like he understood how to read defenses that well. He wanted to go for the big play a lot, um, didn't really trust his offensive line at times last year. And then this year. Um, there were sort of the same issues of, you know, not being able to trust the line, not being able to read the routes correctly um, against the Texans. He had like some plays where he was staring down receivers and throwing into double coverage, tight window, stuff like that. Um, but the last couple of weeks, it feels like he's gotten a better rhythm of sort of like what to do when the pressure is there immediately, what to do when there isn't pressure, how to sort of navigate the pocket effectively, how to move the defensive line in a way that not only opens up rushing lanes, but also keeps passing lanes and uh, gives them a chance to throw the ball downfield if someone comes open late, things like that. Yeah, no, I know me and Tej kind of had uh, high draft priors on Justin Fields. So I think we, for our for our sake, we want him to pan out. So in terms of the future, the Bears have like over $100 million in cap space, in cap space for 2023. How would you go about building this roster, hopefully around Justin Fields, assuming that Poles and Eberflus don't give up on him? Do they spend in the offensive line or go for the receivers? Yeah, so the the comp that I came up with Fields in my head um, when I was thinking about this was he reminds me a lot of how Mike Vick was when he came to the league. Big, strong, strong on quarterback who could run. But um, the issues are, can he like read the field? Can he make adjustments? Can he like play the passing quarterback? Can he be a passer in the NFL? And so I think the first issue is you need a big play wide receiver. Um, as much as I love Darnell Mooney, he's, you know, a solid number two, a great number three. Um, and after that, you know, Equinemi, St. Brown, a bunch of wide receiver fours and fives. Like the, they have the deepest wide receiver four or five room in the league. Um, so I think you need a wide receiver number one, whether that be, you know, trading for somebody, getting like a Tyree Kill or a, or a Devontae Adams or uh, having someone like uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba come up, someone from the college level, someone who can – go win those jump balls, win the one-on-one -on -one routes, make those big plays. Um, next, offensive line, I think there's a huge gap in the center position. Like every single play, I think last year, or every single play against the Vikings this week, um, I think Lucas Patrick was playing and he got beaten off the line almost immediately. So like you could see as soon as the ball was snapped, there was a guy in his face three or like three yards down the field already. And so I think finding somebody who can play that center position and maybe sort of shoring up the interior because – um, if the outside breaks, I think I have enough confidence in him to let him, you know, roll to the right or left and be able to bootleg a little bit and find somebody on the on somebody deep on a mobile kind of throw. But um, if the interior is falling apart, then it's going to mess up the timing for any passing game and it's not going to be great for him. And then um, I think Cole Komet is sort of showing his, you know, year three tight end sort of development now. Um, he's becoming a guy you can, you know, sort of look at the middle of the field, eight to ten yards and get um, – get a nice game from him um i don't think he's going to become like a george kittle or entire like, yeah uh, that's very tough to do yeah he's not gonna become one of those guys but he can become a guy who you know um who's a lower level tight end like a gerald everett or something yeah, yeah. like a jared cook like guy yeah. who just gets open and if the quarterback needs a, a safety uh check down option he will be there for him and mm -hmm. then 
defense, they have a lot of young talent there. So I don't think you have to worry too much about spending the money, but um, I do have some personal feelings towards Roquan. I hope that Roquan stays. Mm-hmm. Um, the 20 mil might be a little bit much, but um, I think he's a good linebacker when, when it comes to, when it comes to it. All right. Yeah. You going through the, the bears talent on their offense, made me a little sad. So let's transition topics. Um, so yeah, we don't, we don't talk too much college football on this show. Uh, but you know, you, you, you follow basically every sport, but you're big on like college football versus NFL, right? Like, where do you, where do you fall on that? And like, what are some of the reasons for like, which ones you prefer, like why you spend, you know, so much time watching both, like all that stuff. Good college football is great. NFL football is better than good college football, but bad college football is so much better than bad. football. <laughs> like, um, college college football has a lot like the talent and the high level of competition to like make you want to like sit down like you can watch you know Ohio State play Michigan even last year and like see like the big talented receivers big talented defensive linemen you know star quarterbacks all that kind of stuff making big plays but then you could also go to you know watch a big 12 game and see you know TCU and Kansas get an absolute shootout and just trade scores back and forth you can see you know Pac-12 after dark and see you know a top Oregon team lose to Stanford who's four and eight, like any given, like that any given Saturday sort of feel of like watching great teams go play bad teams and still having, you know, struggle on the road. Like we saw the number one team, Georgia on two in two dogs fights with Kent state and Auburn. And, you know, you wouldn't really see, you know, the chiefs playing the Texans and, and, you know, Texans and the bears back to back weeks and struggling with both of them and like possibly losing. Um, So I think just that the given nature of like, having more games gives uh, a larger variance for like the kind of games you could get. And so you will get like some absolutely insane matchups in college football that um, I don't, I think can probably be a little bit more entertaining than the NFL, but um, in terms of watching it for, you know, like the talent, the ability, stuff like that, the NFL, I mean, nothing matches it. Like you won't see Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in college. Like it'll be guys wide open, like for CJ Stroud or um, JJ McCarthy or someone like that. Like you see a guy running wide open, but you won't see like tight windows, beautiful like no look pass and stuff like that in college yeah so you know in that case are there are there any players you're you're liking right now in college football that you'd hope the bears bring on in 2023 um jackson's been the jigba obviously number one like i think he's an absolute freak of a wide receiver and um sort of the jamar jamar joe burrow effect um last year of like getting a guy who used to play college with and bringing it to a new team um i think is going to do wonders um will smith might be the single best um, defensive player I've seen like play college football um, or not Will Smith, Will Anderson. My bad. Um, he's really talented, really explosive. Um, he rushes the passer extremely well. Um, he kind of has some struggles in some bigger games, but I think he's, you know, an absolute freak. Um, and I know, I don't know if Brock Bowers is going to declare, but, or if he's eligible to declare, but um, in a couple of years, like Brock Bowers is going to be an elite tight end. Like he might be better. Like we talked about Cal Pitts being a one's, in a generation type prospect. And I think Brock Bowers might be, you know, even better than Cal Pitts. That's kind of like a, yeah. like a wild thing to say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Will Anderson, Will Smith, both very violent on the big stage. <laughs> so very easy, very easy to mix them up. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, you know, the last, last thing I want to talk about was uh, your physics background. You know, you're, you're done your undergrad in physics. You're planning on going to grad school and, and majoring in physics. They're like, how has, uh, kind of like that background and like what you've studied influenced the way that you watch football. And and do you think it's different compared to, you know, when people pick like different majors and, and also like watch football or study football? Yeah. So um, football originally wasn't the first sport I paid a lot of attention to. First, it was baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think baseball, I, you know, baseball is a lot more physics applicable to it, you know, ball rotation, stuff like that. And then 
Um, the analytics wave hit baseball a lot earlier than it hit football. So like by the time I was in high school, you know, people were starting to accept things like war, WRC plus, OPS plus, like they were starting to accept these, these deeper level stats. And so when I started watching football, um, I was more, pre- I was appreciating like the high level of it. Like I was appreciating, you know, good quarterback play, good line play, stuff like that. But I, w- I didn't really care for much for like the underlying stats because it didn't occur to me you could do the same things in baseball as you did in football. And so then when I started uh, coming here and started learning more about the analytical side of football, um, I started growing, like, growing even more appreciation for like how hard it is to make a coaching decision, how much like time and effort coaches spend in like building these, like how much time coaches spend in like building a game plan and like trying to make sure that their all their uh, strengths match up with their opponent's weaknesses and trying to like limit their own, uh, limit their own weaknesses and stuff like that. And then starting to see how like teams are starting to accept that analytics and starting to build their own models and like trying to see like every single time there's like a fourth down, I look at, I look at the model and see like, Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is, what are they saying at this time? It's like to go for it. And it's just, it just made watching football that much more enjoyable. Cause like you can see all these numbers and all these underlying data points that nobody really thinks about but that like still come into play. Um, but on a, on a, on a, like a football only, like just watching the game, um, I really enjoy offensive line play because I think it's like the one time you get to see like the full beauty of like physics and football Mm -hmm. because you get to see like how does leverage work? Why does like the lowest man win? How do you know the hand fights and the momentum swings that you see with like trying to get a guy to move or like trying to beat an offensive line? Like how do those things matter? How do guys use certain techniques that you wouldn't really think of as physics concepts, but like you break down as to why they work and they are fully physics concepts. And so seeing like those sort of like small interplays of guys using things that I've learned in school, but they're using it not they're not caring why like things i learned about but they're using it to like great effect and to like rush passers and to uh set up running games and stuff like that it's it's a wonderful thing to watch and i think more people should appreciate that like trench warfare yeah no that that's so cool and it's 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 cool that the big data bowl Mm -hmm. uh this year is about um offensive line play it's about trench play defensive line and offensive line so hopefully we get some good like physics-based projects i don't know if what will come out of that but, you know, Iso, this, is, this has been awesome uh, to our listeners. Make sure to go follow Iso on Twitter at Iso Adam underscore 74, a fellow Joe Burrow enthusiast and <laughs> talent player. Um, but, you know, Iso has been great. Uh, one of obviously one of the best to have in our M fans club and, you know, really appreciate you coming on. Anything else you want to plug for our great listeners? Um Buy the Tua, buy the Tua stock. It's going to go up. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, appreciate it. And yeah, for everyone who, in case you don't know how to spell Iso, it's just ISO and then Adam underscore 74. So yeah, thanks again, Iso. Really appreciate it. That is all we had for this week. We did the week five review on Wednesday's episode. We did the week six preview and our guest interview on this episode. Hope you guys enjoy the new two-episode format. You know, always be sure to review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. And also, you know, leave us a review. Tell us what we can do better at. Tell us, you know, what you really like and that we should do more of. So appreciate everyone listening. Until next time, on Take the Points.